0: Uh, Actually, Doug Wallace and myself will get on the plane this afternoon, and uh, we get to enjoy Manila for a few days and see what God wants us to be doing there. So it's a delight to be with you. Um, Just to give you the update, my wife is still gone. She is in America. But guess what I have now? I have lots of new grandchild pictures. So, (laughs) So I have them in my phone. They all connected yesterday, and uh, she's going to be spending the next uh, 10, 12 days with our new grandson, Billy. So I am delighted to be here and uh, be able to share what God has. We're going to be looking at Ephesians. We're in week two of our new series on the book of Ephesians. And um, um, if you do not have an outline, uh, for the bullet, from the bulletin, if you'd raise your hand, the ushers will get that to you real quickly. And uh, you, there are some blanks to fill in. There's also some questions if you want to use that uh, for your own study later on or for your community group. So put your hand up if you need an outline and they will be brought to you. Fantastic. Everybody has an outline. I see no hands. Okay. I want to tell a little story here to kind of set the stage for what I see going on in the book of Ephesians. And the story starts with a man named Pierre Chanel. You French-speaking people may be able to pronounce that better than I can, but Pierre Chanel was just a common man in France, and he'd been trying to sell an old, dusty painting at his stall for quite a number of weeks, in fact, he'd, had, he'd been kind of stuck with this painting for several months. Just a small painting, about 22 centimeters by 55 centimeters, something like that. Something that got cleaned out probably from somebody's attic. It was a picture of a woman, probably Mary, holding two children. Probably Jesus and John the Baptist. And then a school teacher, and I understand that uh, in, it, this happened in about 1999, a school teacher stopped by and saw the painting and purchased it for the bargain basement price of $70 U.S. I think that's less than 600 Hong Kong. So uh, got quite a deal. He wrapped the painting in a blanket and he put it in the back of the van. It stayed there for a while. And he decided that He needed to stop at the art appraiser in his local town and see what this painting was worth. He shows it to the appraiser, and the appraiser starts looking and looking and says, I think you need to take this painting to Paris and have somebody with more expertise take a look at it. And so he took it to Paris. It made its round with several art appraisers. And they decided that this was one of da Vinci's lost paintings, picked up in the street market for $70. It was estimated to be worth $50 million in 1999. What a find, what a buy. What changed about the painting? Did they get it cleaned? Did they put some expensive gold frame around it? No, it was the same painting, but they realized who painted it. Do you think that Pierre Chanel would have sold it for $70 if he knew that it was worth $50 million? No way! Well, you'll kind of catch why I told this story as we start looking at Ephesians. We're going to start at Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 15. I want to catch up on a little bit of what we talked about last week. It's what's in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1. Pastor Mike told us last week that Verse 3 through 14 is all one long verse in, in, uh, in the book of Ephesians there. In, in the Greek language, it, it just goes on and on and on. And, and I kind of get this picture that Paul is excited as he's writing these words to them. He's telling them all kinds of things about what they have. Remember the two words from last week. What they have because they are in Christ. Because Jesus made a difference in their life, they have certain things. And he says, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 15, he says, for this reason. That means he's referring back to all the things that he wrote in that big, long sentence. I think the Ephesian church was a special church to the Apostle Paul. Now, he loved them all. But... We know from his travels uh, outlined in the book of Acts that he actually went to Ephesus three times. Well, two times and one time he went to the port that was a mile or two away. And so on his second missionary journey, he had gone through Asia Minor, um, up around Macedonia, through Greece, and was at Corinth and Athens, and on his way back to Jerusalem... He stopped. He went on by boat from the Aegean Sea and he stopped at Ephesus for a short time and he started talking to them and he planted a church there at that time. He said he was coming back. And so on his third missionary journey, it's actually one of the early stops that he makes, he stops at Ephesus and he spends about two years living in Ephesus, planting the church, developing uh, the, the, the leaders there so that they can carry on the church. He knew many of the people in that city. They were personal friends of his. This is different than some of the other books. Like the book of Romans was written before Paul went to Rome. He heard about the church there and he wanted to send them instructions. So in Romans he's writing a book and he doesn't actually know the people very well personally because he hasn't been there yet. So he's been there twice now. He goes back through Macedonia, over into Greece, uh, goes to uh, Corinth and, and, and Athens, and he needs to come back again to Ephesus. So this is his third time. He knows his time is going to be short, and he says, can you meet me at the airport? I don't have time to come into the city. Can you just meet me? No, they didn't have an airport. They had a port city. Ephesus was several kilometers in from the port, and so he met them. He had the church leaders come and meet him at the port. And he once again spends the time with them. He's been traveling and he spends all night teaching them. Uh, that's where the guy falls out of the window because he got, fell asleep as, as Paul was preaching. So this is the church that Paul is writing to. He knows the church. And when he writes the book of Ephesians, he's actually in prison. It's a year or so later, maybe two years later, and he's writing to them. And he has all this excitement where he wants them to know what God gave them in Christ. He also knows that there's probably new believers that have come to Christ since he was there. And so he gives this this to them. And he shares with them that... This is what you have. This is how your life has changed. Before, you were a condemned sinner. You were separated from God. The Bible tells us these things. The, The Ephesian people and anyone who doesn't know God through Jesus Christ is actually headed to hell. We are unable to please God in our own old nature. But Jesus. But Jesus came. You are now in Christ. And so Paul takes this whole exciting sentence, the big long 200 word sentence that he he gives, and he says, because you are in Christ, you have these certain things. Your life has changed. Your life is different now. And I want you to realize the things that make it different. And so you can go back and you can read these verses and you can see what the things are in Christ. And I have made a list for you too. That's what your your first list is here on your your paper. There are ten things that Scripture says happens to you at the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior. Actually, it's more than ten. I I, I narrowed it down to ten. You can get lists that are 30 or 40 things that have happened because you are in Christ. And so I want you to understand these things. The things that I put on your, for you to write on your paper are the things that I want you to remember. This list of 10 and then there's another list of four. Now last week when Pastor Mike was preaching, I had my outline, but I didn't have a pen. And so, I took some notes on my phone, and then I filled in my outline later. I made it simple for you today. Uh, If we'll start with the first item here, if you don't have a pen, you can take a screenshot when we get to item ten, because all the answers will be on that on the on the screen when I get to item ten. You take that one picture, and you can get them all. So I was thinking of you. I thought there might be someone else without a pen. So. Your new identity in Christ. Okay? Uh, Just wait. uh, Wait till we get all ten of them up there. We'll fit them on the screen. You, You can take one shot there. Okay? So your new identity in Christ. Realize who you are. You're not that painting that was just found in the street market. You need to realize who you are. You are declared perfect. In God's eyes, not just good, not just okay, you're perfect. For by one sacrifice, Hebrews tells us, He, God, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Understand the preciousness that you have. We find in just a couple verses down in Hebrews ten seventeen that God will forget and forgive our sins. It's not just that we're forgiven, but they are removed from us. As far as the east is from the west, our sins are forgotten and forgiven. Now, if we have a couple pilots in this church, one here today at least, if we sent... Him out on the plane and told him to fly east as far as he could go. Could you put enough fuel in the plane to do that? No, because when you go east, you keep going this way and you need to keep going around. Remember, our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. We headed west, you couldn't go west until you got to the end. But if I sent you north or if I sent you south, You could find the point that is north and the point that is south. You see, God didn't separate our sins just a mere planet's worth apart. He sent them infinity apart as He forgave us our sins. Do you know what else God gave us? Romans 8.11 tells us that God put Himself in us as believers. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit is God. Remember the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is living in us. Do you ever want to hear from God? God is there in you. Because you have been born again. You have been born again. You're spiritually born again. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It's a whole new life. It's come anew. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were spiritually dead and separated from God. We weren't just sick. We were dead. And God gave us new life. We have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we are a new creation. Something new. The very next verse, 2 Corinthians 5.18, tells us that we are reconciled to God. We're reconciled. We've had the books balanced. I've had the pilots, now let's get the bankers. God reconciled the books that had us in tremendous debt. And he's brought reconciliation so that we can know God. Romans 5.1 tells us we can be at peace with God. We're no longer at war with God, but we can have peace with God. Galatians chapter 4 tells us that we were once a slave to sin. We had no option but to sin because it was in our nature. Now, I have three grandchildren. And unfortunately, well, one of them's pretty young. Unfortunately, their parents, my children, <laughs> their parents do not need to teach them how to sin. It's in their nature to sin. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to have the slavery nature that we have to sin, to be severed so that we can be with God. And the last one, number 10, this is picture time. We are a citizen of heaven. This is not our home. No matter whether you were born in Hong Kong or not, this is not our home. America is not my home. Wherever you were born is not your home. Our home is in heaven. We are a citizen of heaven. God wants us to know our new identity. And so look at the things the Apostle Paul was telling the Ephesian church in the first part of this book. In Christ, we are a new creature. Is it something that we could earn? Is it somehow that, that I've read my Bible enough times and I've gone to church enough that I'm good enough now? Could I earn this? The debt was too big. The debt was too big. I could not earn it. It's something that is so big that it was beyond my ability to earn. It comes, as Paul says, in Christ. Now, how we believe ourselves, as we understand who we are, it affects the way that we live. Do you think that Pierre would have sold that painting if he knew its true value? Not for $70, anyway. What he knew affected his life and how he behaved. As we are believers in Jesus, as we know who we are in Christ, it affects the way that we live. I have a short uh, YouTube video that I want you to watch because I want you to catch the reality that the debt was something that we could not earn. It's something that came through Jesus because we're in Christ. We need to receive the gift, but it's a gift that's paid for us because of who he is. It's real short, uh, just a little over a minute long, uh, and actually it's all uh, titles. There's, There's some music, but no words, but take a look at this. lived to 106. Can you imagine that story? As you look into the story more, you find that it was small numbers of children here and there. He kept trying to rescue children so that they didn't have to die in the Holocaust in Germany. 669 children he successfully rescued. What a story. What a story. I understand that there was actually another trainload of kids that were on their way and didn't make it. The number would have been higher. But when I see that story, it tells me that my, you know, these children couldn't do anything. They didn't have the resources, they couldn't leave on their own. But this man purchased their ticket to get out of Germany, and relocated them in a home in Great Britain. Do you see the similarity? When we are saved, when we are in Christ, Jesus paid the price. He paid it all. And he gave me a new identity where I am now in his family, living for him, Instead of the world around me and my own agenda. We are adopted. Paul uses the term adopted in Romans. We are adopted and given a new citizenship. And that adoption gives us an entire new identity of who we are in Christ. Let's appreciate it. Let's understand that we are the $50 million painting. Let's live like we're children of the King. Let's trust God when He calls us to do things. And so Paul continues on. Okay, I've talked that long about one verse. Uh, We'll we'll do the others faster. Uh, Verse 16, Paul continues on. And he says, I never stop giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Remember, these are people that Paul loved. People that the Apostle Paul Three times. Did it go down? The, the, these are people that the Apostle Paul visited three times. And he has a prayer for them. Do you hear his heart, his love for them? And it makes me wonder, who else would pray that kind of prayer? When have I prayed that kind of prayer? the prayer that someone would understand the fullness and the richness that they have in Jesus Christ. You know what? That's what I pray for my children and my grandchildren, that they would understand the richness that they have in Christ. Our children, both our children and their spouses love Jesus, and it's such a joy to have that. And so, parents, pray this prayer for your children. Remember them in your prayers. Do you have someone that you're mentoring in your, in, in, that you know that has a relationship with Jesus and you want to help them grow? Pray for them continuously. Do you have a class? Are you a discipleship teacher with the children, with the teenagers, with the adults? Do you have a community group that you have a heart for? Pray these things for them. Are you a leader in the church? Are you an under-shepherd? Are you a pastor? Or are you someone that simply has a friend that you want to walk with and help them to know Jesus better? Pray with a passion for spiritually lost people that they will come. Join Paul in this prayer. And we're going to find out some things to pray for them. When you pray scripture, you know you're praying God's heart. And so the four things that you have remaining on your paper are some things that the Apostle Paul prayed for these new believers in Ephesus. He wants them to know certain things. He wants them to experience certain things. And so I encourage you to make these four things a part of your prayer list for yourself and for other people. If you look at verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, I keep asking That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The spirit of wisdom. Pray that for the people that you love. Pray that for yourself, that the spirit of wisdom would be in your life. Now, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is knowing the facts. Wisdom is being able to apply truth to the situation. Pray that that would be there. And it comes through the revelation from, from a revelation from God, as God brings that into your life. It comes as you know Him better. I encourage you to keep knowing God. Keep knowing Him better. The second thing that he says is that we should pray with the eyes of our heart. We've had a song that way. We've been praying that way. We want to see with the eyes of our heart. We have some people here that are experts in eye care. <laughs> I just happen to realize that sitting up front here um, have done some things with with eye care. Joyce and Honore, it's good to have you. Good to have you with us here and. Uh, What I hear Paul saying is there's a difference between the eyes of our head and the eyes of our heart. The eyes of our head can see the things around us. It can translate, talk to them if you want to know how it's all done, but the light that comes in, the things that we see get translated into signals that go to our brain and we can interpret the world around us. Because the eyes of our head are functioning. Spiritually we need the eyes of our heart. We need to receive the signals, the things that are around us, so that we can interpret them spiritually and understand who God is. We have five senses naturally. Paul's picking on picking on the eyes, but we have we have hearing, we have taste, we have smell, we have touch. And we understand the the physical world around us through that. But Paul is praying that we would have spiritual eyes, that we can see what God is doing around us. Sometimes when I hear prayer requests, I detect that somebody's spiritual eyes are open. We have a prayer request for a physical need, or some disaster, or something going on. And the question will come up Does that person know Jesus? Sometimes we just want to pray for the, for the big and obvious need. Jesus had the paralyzed man lowered down through the roof by four of his friends, and there was a very obvious need. The man was paralyzed. I mean, what do you think he wants? He wants to be healed. He wants to be able to walk. He has that need. Jesus saw with spiritual eyes the real need of that man being that his sins needed to be forgiven. And so we can, we can heal the, the, the outer, but sometimes God uses those things to heal the inner. And God wants us to have eyes that can see him and what he's doing. And now Paul goes on to another one of his long sentences. He goes on to talk about the, the, the uh, uh, verse 19. His incomparably great power that is in us. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. For above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked. Not only in this present age, but in the age to come. Paul is excited again about the power. And the prayer is that we move with the power of God. You see, if we're seeing things spiritually, we need to be able to move spiritually and realize that things only come through the power of God. If God tells us to do something... Our question should be, when? Get started. Jump in. Do it. If God tells you to jump, ask Him how high on the way down. Trust Him, because you're moving with the power of God. God's power can move mountains. He created the world. He can heal the sick. But the bigger power is He changes lives. He removes sin. He takes a sinner and turns him into a saint. We were spiritually dead and now we're alive. Do you hear that? in what Paul is saying. So pray that you can move with the power of God. Pray that the people you are praying for can move with the power of God. And we get to the last one in verse 22. Verse 22 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Pray that you will be filled with Jesus. Be filled with Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Once we're in Christ, it gets started. The Holy Spirit's living in us, remember? The Holy Spirit's living in us and we want to have Christ in us. A simple illustration. This is an empty water bottle. Uh, A couple drops left. (laughs) This This is an empty water bottle. It has air in it. It's a simple, little, regular water bottle. If I gave you the assignment to take all the air out of this bottle, what would you do? You can try to dump it out, but it doesn't come out. There's still air in there. I can see it. Well, not really. (laughs) (laughs) You could get a powerful vacuum cleaner and (sighs) suck all the air out of there. And what happens to the bottle? It's crushed because it can't stand up without something in it. It's almost dead. It's really quite simple. If you'd go back to the water cooler back there and simply fill this up with water, all the air would be out. The bottle would be whole. Do you catch what Paul is saying when he says, Be Filled with Christ. Sometimes we're so concerned about how to empty ourselves of the things of the world, the things that we have in our thoughts, and we're trying to work so hard to get them out of there. Put Jesus in, and there won't be any room left for anything but Jesus. Put Jesus in. So Paul tells us, understand with the spirit of wisdom, not just our mind. Paul wants us to be in Christ. You'd have my notes here. Um, he wants us to stop living our, on our own way, understand with the spirit of wisdom, is see with the eyes of the Lord, move with the power of God, be filled with Christ, because... Understanding who I am in Christ affects how I walk with Christ. If Pierre knew the value of the painting, it would have changed his behavior on what he did with that painting. When we understand that in Christ, we have all things that God wants to give us. Paul tells us that here in Ephesians chapter 1. We have all that we need to live with Christ. As we accept these things, as we understand these things, as we realize we are a child of the King, it will change the way we live each day. It's going to change the way we talk to people. It's going to change our attitude with our employer. It's going to change the steps of faith that we take as God calls us to go. The world's going to think we're crazy but we're walking with Jesus. and So I just want to challenge you with that and leave that with you. Understand the ten things that you have in Christ, and you can look for Scripture. There's there's about 20 or 30 more. Um, And understand and pray that these four characteristics would be a part of your life. Let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you for providing all things for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, we were nothing. We were sinners. We were separated from you, and you've adopted us into your family. We're a child of the King. Lord, help us to live like that today. I pray that you work in our hearts as we continue in worship here, and I thank you in Jesus' name.